Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from John 16, 16 through 22. This is found on 902 in your pew Bible. If you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take the one in front of you home as a gift from us. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a while and you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that the human being has been born into the world. So also you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Amy. Good morning. My name is Dakota. I am one of the pastors here at Christ Community Church, the Brookside campus. I'm just so glad to be here with you all, to be worshiping together, to be singing and praying together and sitting under God's word. I am grateful and uh, privileged to get to share some of it with you. And don't take that lightly. So I wanted to pray before we jump in just to ask the Spirit to be working in me and in us and in our hearts um, to receive what what he wants us to hear today. So let's pray and we'll, we'll get in. Father, we thank you for loving us. God, for um, creating this space set aside, this time um, in the week where we can gather together, we can be together, and we can um, hear from you together. God, we, um, we want you to speak. We want your spirit to speak to our hearts where we need it. God, so we ask for that. We pray um, that you would already be um, kind of opening us up to you and to what you want us to hear, um, that you would apply um, your word to our hearts that what, what is true would stick. And God, that we would um, be encouraged uh, by your word through your spirit today. We love you, Lord, and pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, normally, on a Sunday morning, since I'm here, my wife, Megan, is the one who gets up with the boys and gets them ready and drives in the church and takes them downstairs for the drop-off. But recently, I was in charge of dropping off our two-year-old to his childcare, to his class. And so, not being used to it, uh, I forgot about all of the little intricacies of a smooth toddler drop-off. So what I do is I, I go to, with Theo to the room, and I say hi to the teacher, and before I say bye, I linger. And then when I went to leave, as you might expect, 
he just lost it. Right? He's just, just crying and tears, and what he's saying without saying it is, why would you leave me? Or are you ever going to come back? And it just feels the worst, right? And, and all the parents who have toddlers who are doing this drop-off downstairs know what I'm talking about. First off, kudos to all of you, as well as to the teachers and the volunteers who helped make that happen. Second, this is totally developmentally appropriate, right? So, so psychiatrist and theologian Kurt Thompson, he talks about our brains as anticipation machines. We feel alone in our pain now because we are anticipating being alone in it later. And this is because of attachment, the science of attachment. When, when our attachment with someone, our loving bond with them, feels insecure, we feel alone, like they've left us. Yeah. And when that happens, we ask two main questions. Why would you leave me? And how long will you be gone? Why would you leave me? And how long will you be gone? And in our passage today, the disciples are feeling and experiencing this. So in the past couple of months, we have been in a series called Behold Your King, where Jesus has been talking with his disciples, and, been, and we've been sitting with them, listening to him, have a conversation with them before he is betrayed and goes to the cross. And when Jesus starts talking about this hour coming when he will leave, they already feel alone. Jesus, you're leaving us? but how long will you be gone? A little while, Jesus says. And the disciples are like, tell us, please. Tell us exactly how long. We need to know. How long are we going to feel alone like this? How long, Lord? And this echoes the cry of the psalmists. How long, O Lord? And this is the cry at the heart of all of our suffering in this life. How long will this pain last? How long will I hold this grief? How long will I be alone in it? Well, Jesus speaks a word to his disciples at their hour of sorrow, as well as to us now in our hour of sorrow. And here's what he says. We are going to read it again. We're going to go back to verse 20. So read with me here in John 16, starting in verse 20. Here's what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now. I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Well, here's where we're going this morning and what Jesus is saying to us in our passage. He says, I will overcome my hour of sorrow to birth new life from yours. 
Jesus overcame his hour to birth joy from our sorrow, love from our loneliness, and peace from our suffering. Jesus overcame his hour to birth joy from our sorrow. And he says this with this birth imagery. And doing this, he is explicitly connecting his death on the cross with his resurrection to new life. The hour of his death is at the same time the hour of his new life. Both sorrow and joy in the same moment. So like with a human who is born from a mother's labor pains, and it's actually, it is joy birthed from sorrow. The moment of sorrow is where and how the lasting joy comes. The childbearing is a, is a powerful image that's used throughout the Bible. and It's a favorite of the Hebrew prophets. And so Jesus is drawing on this legacy. So listen to this. This is from Isaiah chapter 26, verses 17 through 19. The prophet says this, Like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries out in her pangs when she is near to giving birth, so were we because of you, O Lord. We were pregnant, we writhed, but we have given birth to wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth, and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. It's powerful, isn't it? Death and new life, all wrapped up in this one moment, sorrow and joy, joy from sorrow. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about. When Megan and I were first starting to to try to start a family, she had two miscarriages. And both of those deaths were shocking and painful in their own ways. And after months of grieving and slow healing, she became pregnant again. But during most of that pregnancy, we were anticipating another loss. Our anxiety was high, and on top of that, we found out that our baby had signs of possible developmental problems. So we were told to keep a watch on it. So we went in for monthly ultrasounds, and every time, we're just waiting for that bad news. The doctors told us it could be nothing, or it could be some serious health problem, or even death. So for nearly nine months, Megan held the anticipation of death in her body. And then finally, we got the news that we barely cared to for. The concern on the ultrasound was gone. Our baby was healthy. And after a couple of weeks of lots of walks in the park, while the due date came and passed, finally we drove to the labor and delivery department and we found out that Megan was in labor. So we bunkered down for a long night and 18 plus hours of, of laboring later, 
uh, going up and down the mountains of contractions and the nurses coming to check on us, Megan gave birth to our first baby boy. And it was Nurse Jenny who was with us when it was time to push and when Declan came into the world. And Jenny took Declan over the table to weigh him and she said, Oh, he's so big. And he was. Look at that. He is over 10 pounds. And uh, my wife is amazing. Uh, and uh, sometime after this, Jenny offered to rock Declan while Megan and I rested a little bit. And she shared some of her faith with us after finding out about ours. And Jenny is this amazing woman from Jamaica. And as she rocked Declan, she would say, Auntie Jenny is here. Auntie Jenny's got you. And she sang hymns over him. And Auntie Jenny quoted scripture over us. Psalm 16, 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I remember Megan telling me afterwards that this verse was exactly what God had been teaching her as she was grieving the miscarriages, as she was processing the season of Declan's pregnancy. In the middle of grief and anxiety and anticipation, God was there. Jesus was present and active and close, walking with her and bringing joy from it. That's just it, right? It is Jesus, God with us, his presence, his nearness in the middle of our sorrow. That's what gives us lasting joy. It's the joy of hearing the lover of our souls say, I am glad to be with you right now. I'll be right here while you carry this. I will carry you in this. I will be working I will be laboring for you, and I still am laboring for you. And what's closer than Jesus living inside of us through his spirit? He says, no one will take your joy from you, not even death, the last enemy, because death is defeated on the cross, and Jesus' joy is proven to be indestructible by his resurrection and the sending of his spirit. Jesus overcame his hour to birth joy from our sorrow. Hey, Bird. Jesus labored, right? He labored in his hour so that our sorrow wouldn't be the end of our story. He labored so that he could be with us in our sorrow and so that nothing could separate us from his love. Jesus labored to birth joy from our sorrow. And when we've witnessed him do this, when we've seen Jesus, we've felt him draw near in those times to birth joy from our sorrow, we are better able to see that he also births love from our loneliness. Because Jesus overcame his hour to birth love from our loneliness. Verse 16, Jesus says, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. 
And the disciples are thoroughly confused, as are we. Understandably, right? They want to know when. How long? How much is a little while, Jesus? But Jesus never gives it to them. He knows that they are grasping for security while they are afraid of being left alone. Because Jesus promises that they're going to and they're going to suffer without him physically being there as he has been. The disciples are afraid of suffering alone. And if we're honest, we are too. There is a profound loneliness to suffering alone. And this lonely experience has reached such high levels in society today that there are some scholars who say that we are in the middle of an epidemic of loneliness. And I might even say that it has reached pandemic cross culturally pervasive levels. So imagine COVID, but instead of the respiratory system, it's a virus that attacks connection, community, and friendship all aspects, components of love. We don't realize that we have this virus until something truly awful happens and there is no one there to love us through it. And this leaves us grasping for love and security in all kinds of ways through wealth, success, romantic relationships, pornography and video games, or addictions that are associated with any one of these things or other things. These are all symptoms of the disease of loneliness, of feeling abandoned by God and by others in our pain. And it is right there, in the middle of that loneliness, that God shows himself even more. And that's on purpose. David Platt, pastor, said at the if gathering over the weekend that some of the women heard and I wasn't there and I didn't hear but I heard from my wife that he said this more than I need my circumstances to change I need my view of God to grow God uses these circumstances to strip off all of the false views of Jesus that we have and all of the false ways of living that we've been using like band-aids to cover up our wounds and our shame and our sin. And he gives us what we truly need, himself. Jesus answers our false grasping for security, but not directly. He doesn't lie, right, and tell us that everything is going to be okay and easy and that you won't suffer. No, but Jesus does give us the promise of direct access to the love of God the Father. By doing this, Jesus gives us something more lasting, more sustaining, more substantial than even his bodily presence. He gives us prayer. He gives us prayer. Listen to this from John 16. Go down to verses 26 and 27. 
He says, in that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say, that, say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I have come from God. Prayer is a direct, intimate, conversational relationship with the creator of the universe. And we can have a loving relationship and bring any and everything to him, to the Father, because we pray on the basis and the authority of Jesus' name. It is Jesus who through his labor on the cross unites us to the Father and thus makes us, the church, one family. Because he overcame his hour on the cross. Because he took the shame that cuts us off from one another. Because he suffered the profound loneliness of separation from a holy, perfectly good God because of our sin. And because of all of this, he can give us the deepest, most lasting, most secure love we can possibly have in the middle of our loneliness. The love of God the Father and the love of the family of God. One of my favorite songs is called Belly of the Deepest Love by the band Towers. And the last refrain in that song speaks to this secure love of the Father. And here's what it says. And it's going to be hard not to sing it, but I won't. And you can thank me later for that. It says this. I tried to get to you, but you came to me instead. With the dawn, the grave is gone. Oh, how you wish to be with me. We try in so many ways to gain security apart from Christ, to get to God by ourselves. But he came to us. Jesus shows God's love for us, right? That while we were still sinners, he died for us because the Father wants to be with us. And that is true for every single person who has trusted in Jesus' victory over the grave, and so it's also true for every one of us together as one church, one family. The love of the Father sustains us, and it unites us as the family of God. And this is what prayer is, both privately and together. It's the lived experience of a loving conversational attachment to God and one another. We have direct access to the Father's love in prayer because Jesus overcame his hour to birth love from our loneliness. In the next chapter, Jesus is going to do just that. In John 17, he's going to pray to the Father. But before we get there, Jesus has one final encouragement for the disciples. Not only did he overcome his hour to birth joy from our sorrow and love from our loneliness, but also to birth peace from our suffering. Jesus overcame his hour to birth peace from our suffering. We can be at peace even when in this world, at this time, all around us, we see and experience suffering. 
Why? Because Jesus conquered the world's sin on the cross. Right? Everything evil, everything wrong with the world that creates the chaos and the pain and the suffering and the trauma and the shame, the weeping and the sorrow and the abuse and the loss and the death and the grief, everything that all of us in our own way knows all too well. Jesus, God in the flesh, died under the weight of all of it. And then he got back up. He overcame his hour. He conquered death. And here is the last word that Jesus gives to his disciples, knowing he is about to go to the cross. This is verse 33. He says this, I have said these things to you, all of these things, here and also before, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus doesn't avoid the pain of the present. You will have tribulation, he says. And at the same time, Jesus says, I have overcome all of it. Jesus is preparing them, the disciples, and us for his glorious return. Not just his return from death, but also that future day of his final return. And this preparation is meant to help the disciples while they wait. Because back in verse 26, Jesus said, In that day, you will ask in my name. And Jesus is reminding the disciples of who they are and whose they are. They are his people. People who have his joy and who pray by his name, by his authority. They are a people who are beloved by the Father of all creation. They are a people of the Spirit. Why is Jesus reminding them? He's building their resiliency. He is giving them what they need to withstand suffering and still have peace. Now, peace here is not only a relational term, as in peacemaking when there's conflict. It also carries all of the freight of the Hebrew concept of shalom, of holistic, integral harmony between people, their creator, and his creation. This is a big promise. This is a shalom, this whole peace from suffering. I wonder, church, if we really believe this. Do we really believe that this is who we are and who we're becoming? Increase our faith, Lord, right? Because this is what Jesus wants for us. It's what he promised, and it's what he died for on the cross. Jesus wants this big, whole, full shalom peace because it's who we are and who we're becoming. Well, in their helpful book, The Other Half of Church, neuroscientist Jim Wilder 
and Pastor Michael Hendricks, they team up to apply the science of interpersonal neurobiology to our growth as Christians in the church. And they say that a church's relational soil and how the church grows up in this relational soil consists of three main components of joy, joy with one another, loving attachments, which they kind of map on to the Hebrew concept of hesed, and group identity. Joy, hesed, and group identity. And when the church's relational soil is rich with these nutrients, it will both grow stronger and be able to withstand stress. So when we're joyfully and lovingly knit together into one community, when we know who we are and whose we are, we're able to help each other walk through the groaning of this world. So with Jesus' final words, he is reminding us who we are. He is reinforcing our group identity. Right? He is saying, when you follow me as king, you will have troubles. And these are the kind of people you can expect me to make you through it. You will have trouble, and these are the kind of people you can expect me to make you through them. You have the joy of my presence with you, even in sorrow. You are secure in the Father's love. There is nothing that can separate you from his love. You belong to God and to one another forever. And this strong group identity, it holds us steady even in the face of our failure and sin. So a truly resilient community one that's resilient even to our own failings. It looks like this. It's joy, loving attachments, a group identity, and a healthy correction when we sin. We can only have that when there is healthy relational soil. It's the only time we can practice that. Because when we have secure attachments to Christ— when we are secure in our attachments to one another in Christ, then we know who to be when we face hardships or failure. We are to be Christ for one another. But how? Well, Jesus gives one final command to his disciples before he turns to pray. And I think that it's also the Spirit's word for us today. He says, take heart. Be courageous, as the CSB puts it. Be courageous. Have the courage to stand firm in the face of suffering. But where does this courage come from? How do we get it into us? Our hearts will only last in suffering to the extent that we have allowed Jesus to birth new life in us, this life of joy and love and peace. This life that is inherently and inextricably, it can't exist without being bound up with the lives of fellow followers of Jesus. At the core, being courageous means we remember who we are, even when it's hard to. Even when we're tempted to abandon ship, 
this is what healthy correction helps to do. Actually, this is what Jesus is doing here. The disciples think that they get it. Finally, after all these false starts and stutters, they go, oh, okay, now we get it. Now we truly believe, they say. And Jesus says, do you now believe? You're all about to abandon me. Look at verse 32 with me. This is the last verse we'll look at. He says this. He says, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone. For the Father is with me. He doesn't say this to condemn them. He says this to encourage them by using healthy correction to point them to the only thing that will help them to last when the trials come. If Jesus is like a mother who is birthing joy and love and peace out of his hour of sorrow and loneliness and suffering, then the Holy Spirit is like the midwife by dwelling in and speaking through fellow believers in the church, in our church, the Holy Spirit can give us the courage we need. Even in the middle of mixed joy. Mixed joy. Because while Jesus tarries and we await his return, we will never experience unmixed joy in this world we all experience the labor pains. Not all couples who yearn for a baby will conceive. Not all babies who are conceived will be born into this world. We lose friends too soon. We feel betrayed by people we thought loved us. We feel betrayed even by our own bodies as we age or we face health issues, the suffering is here. It's real now. But the resurrection means that it does not have the last word. The new creation is coming when unmixed joy will reign. And the babies who die here are held in Jesus' arms until the new creation comes in full and the grieving mothers and the grieving fathers will meet them again, possibly for the first time, seeing the faces of the ones that they loved for so brief a time here on earth. And those babies will grow strong and healthy and joyful for all eternity at the right hand of the Father, of the presence of God, where his pleasures are forevermore. And we will see our children and our friends and our family, our parents who have died in the Lord. And we will see their joy. And they will see our joy at, our, at their joy. And our joy will be full together forever. And the days of sorrow will be like a distant memory, like the scars on Jesus' hands. This is where the courage to pursue shalom in a world of chaos comes from. 
know the lasting joy of the deep loving attachments you are cultivating even now. The lasting joy of deep loving attachments you are cultivating even now. So be courageous. Wait for the Lord. And let's help each other do this. I think Psalm 27 verses 13 through 14 can be a guide for us. Here's what it says. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So even while we wait in the groaning of labor pains now, let's help each other remember who we are. We are the ones whom Jesus labored for on the cross to birth this new life of everlasting joy. We are the ones whom the Father loves deeply and directly and completely forever. We are the ones whom the Holy Spirit fills and equips and empowers and sustains, unites and encourages. And we also suffer. We also suffer now as wandering pilgrims in this wilderness of a cursed creation. We groan. But we also already belong to the King who overcame his hour on the cross to vanquish the evil one and to birth in us this new life of the Spirit. Life of joy and love and peace. Let's pray. Father, I first just pause. Got to acknowledge the pain that so many of us are bringing here, are carrying even now. Got the shame of um, of our own sin. God, the fear of being alone while we, um, while we hurt. God, we acknowledge that. We pause. And we bring it to you in this moment, knowing that you are with us in it. God, that you went to your own hour of sorrow to be with us in ours. And God, we thank you that you have defeated death and sin and evil. That we can have this new life with you, Jesus. God, thank you. God, help us believe. God, we need help. Um, so may your spirit give us the sense of, of your presence with us. God, may you do your work in our hearts. Let us be open to you open to what you're doing, open to how you want to move in our community. God, we love you. We thank you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.